Hello, and welcome to Plotrists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Eris Gone Wild by Laura Lee Gerg. This was published in 2019 and is the fourth book in the Dear Lady True Love series. And I think it probably dates us, but when I hear anything gone wild, I think girls gone wild. Oh, 100%. That has to and be what this is from. It's just a very weird title. It is. It is. But she's not I mean, exactly a rebel, like a little bit, but not, not um, what I would associate with topless girls in Cancun. No, no, that's true. But shall we read the book jacket? We shall. Dear Lady True Love, my ward is driving me crazy. I have to marry her off and get her out of my life. There's just one problem. When Jonathan Deverell promised a dying friend he'd be guardian to the man's daughter, he envisioned a girl in pigtails and pinafores, a child he could leave behind in some finishing school. Problem is, his ward is actually a fully grown, defiant beauty whose longing for romance threatens to make his guardianship a living hell. New York heiress Marjorie McGann wants a London season and a titled husband who can help her spend the Yankee millions she's inherited. And she thinks her new British guardian is the perfect person to help her find him. But Jonathan has no intention of letting his friend's fortune be squandered. Under his watchful, protective eye, Marjorie finds romance hard to come by. Until one fateful night when her own guardian's devastating kisses makes her wonder if the greatest romance of all might be right in front of her. Yeah. Uh, the only, okay. They're never like 100% accurate, right? I, I think the big, I think for me the biggest issue is this, is Jonathan has no intention of letting his friend's fortune be squandered. It's just a setting off each other's buttons thing. Right. Like, I, I don't think he actually has any intention of he he needs to take care of her. He doesn't want the fortune to be squandered, but he doesn't really think that all she's doing is wanting to go out. He he cares more about her than he cares about the fortune. Right. That was fun that they introduced it as a Dear Lady True Love letter because this one really had so little to do with Lady True Love, but I did love the jokes they threw in throughout the episode. I, I mean, did. The episode, throughout the book. I did. I that I think is the strength of the book, and I, I, I talked about it later. But this is something we've talked about recently with Jeannie Lynn's books about yep. how characters come back, and it feels like the world is really rich. And I feel like that's sort of the same thing here. Yes, I, I did. I didn't feel like it was a shitty reunion plot, right? But rather that like it was meaningful additions from former leads as side characters. Exactly. Well, as usual, we generated a random number, and then we wrote summaries using that number as a word count. And for this episode, the number we generated was nine. So we only had nine words to... to we both with. did a really bad job. We did a really bad job this time, guys. I apologize in advance, but enjoy, I, though. Yeah, so mine first, because at least Meg's has a, a thing. <laughs> Orphaned teacher absconds to London, finds husband and career. Oh, so nice. It's, it's hot shit. Go. 
Here's mine. Hot guardian, stop, leaves tonight. Stop, go with, query. Yeah, so one, um, I don't think this book is super trite. No. But the nuances of what makes this book unique are really hard to capture in nine words. Yes. And so I, I think agree. both of our nine word summary ended up being like, okay, so this could be literally any romance novel. Yeah. I think we ended up focusing on the very broad strokes. Right. Which means it could be one of 50 romance yeah. novels. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the, obviously the big trope for this book is guardian word. Yeah. And that was interesting that they had never met, mm -hmm. which often is the case when they have to end up together. But the reason they'd never met here, I thought, was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I actually think it was played a little differently. I often feel like when it's Guardian Ward, one, the Guardian's always a guy because, duh, women couldn't be in charge of stuff like money. Um, the Ward ends up having a very schoolgirl crush, crush and is in some ways, like, knows her feelings before the Guardian. Yes. And in this case, I thought it was really interesting that even before you get to, like, the midpoint of the book when they're talking to each other, he's, like, fighting off lust and interest in her from minute one. And even when they're making out, her thoughts are more about, like, oh, I like kissing and less, oh, I like him. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like that a, that a really lot. Interesting choice. Yeah, I agree. And... This plays into really a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about later, but I, I really liked his conception of what it means to be a guardian. Well, especially because he had to rethink it on the fly. Right. Uh, okay. They argue a lot, and of course that's because they're, they like each other, and that's how they flirt. Yeah, this is really popular in romance right now probably because of season two of Bridgerton but a lot of people are talking about how much they love the like we are turning red and is it because we're pissed or because we want to make out yeah this is that yeah this is I wouldn't say that it's enemies to lovers I don't think no. this is an enemies to lovers dynamic no um but they do argue a lot Um, there is a scene where she is sobbing and it is the scene that forces him. He's got to make her feel better. He can't not hold her. And if it's the first time they do more than kiss, he can't be held responsible because she was crying girl tears. I mean, I, look, this is a total trope, but the way it played out here was so good. I just, it, I think this is my favorite part of the book is what I just said. And it's like how he, is trying to be a good guardian. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I mean, we'll talk about this a little more post-tropes. I think it would have worked better for me had he not been a character in the previous books. Mm, that's totally fair because, yes, I, yes, I agree. I had to get up my, like, calculator to be like, how old is he? <laughs> yep. Um, there's also uh, several times where... They say goodbye, and then um, it was not meant. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that happens a lot. Um, 
whenever like big travel is involved and somebody is told they can't come and it's like not even travel like if it's a crime this happens a lot in mysteries yes like it's the stay in the car and then the person turns around and the person's behind them yeah 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 totally um i mean there's a grand gesture at this point i'm like is this even a trope this is like a theme i don't even know but yes there is a grand gesture i put it in because i didn't love the grand gesture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let me just say this there are certain things you do not buy as a surprise (laughs) we talked about this with one of the sister books too yeah like it's not to say that it's never worked out for people there are just things that you should not buy as a surprise in general yeah i mean like i can understand being like look i picked this out i want to take you to see it and if you like it i'm ready to seal the deal but yeah. She's a sad, tragic orphan. Her mom died when she was seven. Her father immediately abandoned her. She never saw him again. Uh-huh. And so even though he only has recently passed away and she's 20, she hasn't actually had a parent for 13 years. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty depressing and forms the backbone for the main conflict. Yep. Uh, and then they both have daddy issues. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should talk a little bit more about the book. Yeah. First, I just want to say I really like Laura Lee Girk's late Victorian era setting. Like this entire mm-hmm. series, I've really liked the setting a lot. I you always get the feeling or at least I get the feeling when I'm reading that she's done a lot of research and it's like all historically accurate and in this one they get to go on a transatlantic cruise I love that shit and then you know they like call people on the telephone he's sending telegraphs to South Africa I don't know all that Victorian era technology in a historical romance just I don't know pushes my buttons I like it (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know we say this about a lot of the writers we come back to because it's self-selecting. Like, the ones we read a lot, we read a lot because we like them. She's a good writer. She has a really evocative sense of place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been fun to see the main characters of the earlier novels sort of settle into their new station. Yes. Yeah, she has a really good touch with her characters, I think. So, like, we see Irene and Henry, who are from the first book, and you see that, you know, they, they, we said this is not a reunion book, and it's not, this is not a reunion book, but if you have read the previous books in the series, there are some really nice callbacks to, like, when, um, when Marjorie shows up, and she doesn't have a lady's maid, and Irene is like, oh, I'll get one for you. And in the first book, remember, Irene was like, I don't need a maid. Don't send a maid to my room. Yep. I don't know. Just these little these little things. And it's not out of character. It's character development. And you're like, oh, she's like becoming a duchess. Yes. <laughs> I really liked all of the, the main couples who showed up again and how they showed up. I really liked it. And I want to give particular credit to um, the lack of the children. And it's not that these characters don't have children, but Henry and Irene's two boys show up for one scene. Mm -hmm. And Clara and Rex's two girls are named that they need to get home to put them to bed. And that is the extent of children on the page. Mm -hmm. 
And I was thrilled. Seriously, right? Yes. I mean, we even, we liked Governess Gone Rogue, and there were twin boys in that one who were main characters. They didn't show up either. Yes. So, yeah. It's great. Honestly, props to Laura Lee Gerg for not, like, making it a choice. Yes. And not, not saying I would have been upset if they didn't have children, but, like, being very deliberate about, you know what people don't want to read about? Shitty five-year-olds. Well, especially not shitty five-year-olds who don't even have bearing on this couple, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, let's talk about Jonathan, because I really did like his character in this book, but having read the first two and seeing how his character is presented there, it's a little bit different. That's true. And it's not even necessarily different. Jonathan, in the first two books, their sisters are begging him to come home. Mm-hmm. They are financially struggling. Their alcoholic father is dying. Like, their lives are fucking hard. And they're women navigating a social environment that is not welcoming to them. And Jonathan just straight up never comes back. Mm-hmm lies about it and is just like, I'm going to come, I'm going to come, I'm going to come. And then even the resolution for him and his sister's books is, oh, I've struck it rich, so I'm not going to come, but I can send you money and that'll solve your problems, right? hmm So I didn't feel like this character, who he was in this book, was that that would have been out of character behavior. Mm-hmm. But it made me view a lot of his choices toward Marjorie a lot less sympathetically I think mm-hmm. as romance readers, like, Megan, I talk about how we like good boys who do bad things for you. Like, if some of his selfishness or some of his myopia could have been chalked up to, like, oh, he's just so into Marjorie. But it can't, because you know from his previous book that he's kind of a selfish bastard. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't, who will put himself first. Yeah. And especially the spoiler-free version of the ending um, the grand gesture he makes involves him leaving, so she has time to make a decision on her fucking birthday. Right. And it's never even addressed. It's like, no, congratulations that you came up with this foolproof pan. You couldn't have left tomorrow? Right. Like, no, you have not. Like, yes, there's been some growth over the course of this book, but you're actually a, a character I wouldn't like in real life in a way I'm not enjoying reading. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about his character in this book was this sort of intersection between, yes, he's a, he is a relatively selfish character, right? Yes. He left his family for justifiable reasons. You know, you don't feel upset for the reason why he, he left to begin no, with. No, 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 not at all. But he chose not to go back and support his sisters even after his father passed away, um, which was the main thing that was keeping him out of, you know, in America and not in England. Um, and so he has this element of uh, selfishness. Also, when he finds out that he's the guardian of this girl, he first thinks she's a little girl um, and he's just going to leave her at the school. But when he discovers that she is 20 years old, almost 21, and does not wish to stay at this school, He's just like, well, my boat leaves tonight, so I'm just going to have to deal with it later. 
So he doesn't consider that she might have feelings, that she might be justified in her own reasoning. So, right, he's not doing, he's not doing anything wrong, but he's also not doing anything specifically right either, or noble or good. Right. And even where... We talk about this most with Stephanie Lawrence, but I think all romance novelists are guilty of it on some level. And that thing is presenting every outcome as if it were super logical. Yeah. And in this case, it's more like every he justifies his behavior and everyone's like, oh, you're an idiot. That obviously wasn't going to work out. And on some level, like, I don't think either course of action was as obvious as the people are framing it to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you're right. He didn't leave any room for her to have feelings, but everyone acts like her sneaking off on her own on a boat was reasonable too. It's like, not neither of these people are behaving in an unacceptable way. And I don't mean like privy to societal conventions. I mean, like they are not thinking about other people at all or the inconvenience they're causing or the potential danger they're causing. Like none of it actually made sense And that's fine. Characters, people make choices that don't make sense all the time. But the way that every other character observing the situation was like, ah, yes, he's obviously an idiot. And she obviously was doing what she had to do. And I'm like, I don't know that I buy either of those narratives. Right. So when she does finally show back up, well, so he leaves on the boat. She shows up on the boat. Uh, One of the things I did like was how he was really trying he had to navigate his immediate attraction he was like immediately attracted to her the minute he saw her with this sense of duty like I have to take care of her I have to be a good guardian and I did actually feel the tension there I did actually feel like I'm trying to do the right thing and he's not blaming her he's not like you're making it hard because you're beautiful like it wasn't it wasn't anything like that it was really like, how do I keep a hold of myself, figure out what to do when this person who I'm supposed to be in charge of, I'm supposed to be taking care of, is rejecting everything that I'm saying anyway, right? Right. And I was not prepared for the reality of this at all. Right. So like, I'm not saying I'm defending his choices or totally condemning hers. Mm-hmm. But I think everybody told him, he's like, you're awful for just leaving her there. And it's like, she was a grown woman. The plane, I mean, the train, the boat, whatever he took, was booked before I knew that. Right. Like, yeah, I wasn't great on thinking on my feet, but it's not like my plan was to, like, leave her behind and not consider her. The plan was she was eight. Right. Now, I mean, would it probably have been better for him even if it was an eight-year-old to be like, maybe I'll spend a day or two with this do- this child who just lost her father. I mean, yeah, probably. Oh, absolutely. But, like, he didn't know he was... You talk about, like, he wasn't going to take her feelings into account. I mean, or, like, her desires for her own life. Like, well, eight-year-olds don't really have those <laughs> in the same yeah. way. It's a very different consideration. Yeah, but they do have feelings, right? <laughs> Right, but they don't have, like, better plans for their own future. Yes, that's true. Um, And, I mean, it's true, like, at eight years old, would it have been right for him to take her out of the school from one day to the next and be like, let's go to England? Well, probably not, right? Right. It's just, Um, it's a very different, again, I'm not, I'm not defending his choice. It was a shitty one. It was a bad plan. 
But he was caught on his back foot. Yes, yes. Uh, so they, <laughs> the one of the things I really liked about this transatlantic cruise too is how. Look, would I have been happy with a romance novel entirely set on the transatlantic cruise? And they, there was some forced proximity and they had to get to know each other. And maybe there was only one bed in the cabin. I don't know. Like, yeah, I actually probably would have been okay with like a very compressed, <laughs> you know, cruise courtship. Would I have been fine with a lot of boat sex? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, signs point to yes, but. <laughs> Correct. But I did like what she did what Laura Lee Gurk did with the transatlantic cruise. And um, even though there wasn't a ton of proximity between Jonathan and Marjorie, I did think we got a lot of character development, especially for Marjorie. And I, yes. I really liked it. Absolutely. And then I also, I will give props to Laura Lee Gurk that I thought the conflict of this book was really convincing when it happened. I was like, oh, I get this. And it was a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was a little bit unexpected. I, it was it made total sense when it happened, but I was expecting a totally different conflict. Yeah. So I, I liked what she did with that. I like the way she writes interpersonal dynamics. Yes. In general. Um, and I think characters are typically consistent unto themselves. And that's why, like, even my bitching about Jonathan and his character, I'm not, it's not that he's inconsistent. Uh-huh. It's that he's consistent and the volume of information we have makes it a lot harder to view him with a generous spirit. Right. Yeah, like, I really, really liked the conflict. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, and I just thought it was really well done too, because a lot of times these things are telegraphed and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's what that's going to be. But here it was just really built as a part of Marjorie's character. And when yes. it happened, you're like, of course, no wonder. Like, I was like, I, I get it. I totally get yep. her hesitation. And I also... She's 20 and she's never lived a real life. And so some of her reactions, I didn't think made a lot of sense and was a little bit frustrated by her. But again, in a way that was very consistent with her character. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, I think just broad strokes, because we didn't really talk about what this book was about mm. and the... the Jacket only covers like the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So basically he goes to meet his guardian as the jacket says, expects a small child, gets an adult woman. He goes to get on the boat. She sneaks onto the boat with him. And her plan is that she wants a London season. Yes. And so she wants him to leverage his connections, namely his titled sisters who don't know about her and don't know she's coming. Right. And he expects, one, to leave her behind and go to Africa and take care of some fi financial stuff and then orchestrate her whole season next year. But even once she absconds onto the boat, 
he still plans to leave her behind in London. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting when Meg talks about like the conflict being different, how quickly after they arrive in London that his plan of leaving is thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. And like not really the conflict. Right. So I, I thought that was just a really interesting... I also thought it was interesting because she's in half mourning, they don't do as much of the season. Mm-hmm. As I think I'm used to in debutante books. Yeah. So that's just sort of the lay of the land. It's a lot less drama. Yeah. Than the first three books in this series, honestly. It, like, there isn't ever, like, the villain or even the obstacle. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it's just really, you're right. There's really no, there's no villain in the book, which is nice. But is there even, like, the conflict is, oh, we were very different people who wanted very different things before we met. The and conflict, now we both yeah. have to, like, reframe our expectations. So so there's that. Of and, and our relationship. Of ourselves and our relationship. And then for her specifically, it's this, this life, I mean, it's like a lifelong crisis or fear or phobia or whatever of, of being left, of being forgotten. Yes. And let's be honest, everything that Jonathan does and everything that we have just spoken about is him leaving her. But, like, there isn't even, like, this could have been an American, British, American girl in London. There, she has no problem fitting in. She has Mm -hmm. no problem. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the usual, like, oh, reasons society is also making it hard while we're trying to navigate our own shit. Like, not present. No, no, no issues with society at all. Just basically her being like, do I want to fit in with society? Which maybe is a good segue into our next section. Yeah. So content warnings, I do not think that this book requires a content warning. I don't think there's anything. I completely agree. Okay. Um, Was there anything that bordered on offensive or were there any issues you wanted to bring up? I think. So Marjorie was raised in isolation at a girl's school and many of the the girls in finishing school with her left the school and went and married British peers. Mm -hmm. And so Marjorie on her way over to London meets a lot of like old stodgy British women who she feels are boring and just do needlework and gossip about people. And then she meets up with her old friends and decides they're now boring and don't do the things they used to do. And like one of them was a great fencer and now she doesn't do any physical activity because her mother-in-law doesn't like it. And she actually thinks less of them. And that's very clear. And less of women who like that life. Yeah, I see, I did not read it the same way. I read it more as, she always thought that what she wanted was safety and security, especially since her father left her. But now she's seeing that by getting what she always thought that she wanted, she might not be able to, to do some of the other things she's always enjoyed in her life. Right. I think that's fair. And I think that's probably what you were supposed to take away from it. I think you and I've had this conversation a lot. We're bored of the books that, 
criticize women who do just value domesticity. And I get that that would be boring if it was every fucking romance novel, but I could do without the commentary that the women like that are all old catty bitches or the young women who have like adapted to find fulfillment in that life have like clearly given up a part of themselves and it's tragic. Yeah. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but you don't know these side characters well enough to know that. Yeah. Well, and you see these side characters, but then, I mean, we have Clara and Irene who are also titled women. I thought that too. I'm like, why didn't she think I really like Clara and Irene and they've clearly maintained. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Jonathan has this whole thing about how you need a vocation, right? Yep. And it's true that both Clara and Irene do have one. So, you know, I, I, she, I think, I mean, at this point she's trying to decide, do I want Jonathan or not? Right. Right. And she's, she's seizing on a lot of things that she wants. And I mean, the women who there, her friends, they're like 20 years old too, right? Yep. So, I don't know. I, I personally was not put off by that part of the book. I mean, ultimately in the scheme of things, did I care? No. Do I think it's a content warning? No. But there's so many books now, and even honestly, the earlier books in the series that I think did a better job of navigating a less second wave view of feminism. Yeah. Also, um, maybe content warning tuberculosis. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there are that many people in the present day in the U S yeah. Who are triggered by tuberculosis, but tuberculosis. Yeah. So I will say, look, anytime you have a war guardian romance, yes, there's a power differential there. But we've said this before. I'm sure I will say it again. Anytime it's acknowledged in the text and the characters are like grappling with it themselves, I'm basically okay with it. Yep. So that was fine. Uh, And then, look, Laurel Egert does not write anything racist or sexist. There's nothing in this book that I'm like, was offended by or I thought was terrible. That said, this, like many other historical romances, does not acknowledge the reality of what was going on in the world, right? Right. Uh, so, for example, Jonathan is planning on going to South Africa because he hears there might be a war down there and that could affect his investments. <laughs> he doesn't think about, like, why the war is happening, Right. Well, and even her mother was a South African heiress. Mm-hmm. And obviously that had a lot of complexities. I think it's just, you're right, most romance novels don't really engage with those topics. Yeah. But I think when you are dealing with characters who live in London ballrooms, it's a lot easier to, like, excuse their lack of awareness on those topics. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jonathan, and to a lesser extent, Marjorie being so worldly like well traveled mm-hmm. and invested broadly it makes it a lot it, it makes it a lot more noticeable that those issues are only being glossed over right and i mean there were there were there were a little there were it's just interesting too because in this series that has really engaged well with like sexism and feminism mm-hmm. i think these other elements are are lacking. And I think because this has engaged so well with 
with like women's suffrage and stuff like that, um, it does make the absence a little bit more obvious. Well, and in some ways, like for a book where everyone's ended up with a peer except for him, <laughs> like it's engaged pretty well on class issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, what, what isn't done particularly well is notable because so much has been. Exactly. Um, but again, the, it's, it's notable for its absence, not because there's anything actually offensive. Completely agree. Sexiness. <laughs> Was the book sexy? Yes. That said, so I'm not even kidding when I say the majority of this book is him like making out with her really aggressively and then not talking to her. Yes. For long periods of time until he makes out with her really aggressively again. Yes. And so and I did totally buy the like angry passion from him, well, but it's hard to feel like they're really building a relationship with all of those months of silence between them. Yes, I totally agree. And you get number one, you get his like burst of passion. Number two, you understand why he tries to stay away because he's like, if I'm near her, I'm going to be making out with her all the time and I'm her guardian. I'm not allowed to do this. But yeah. And she also, this book lays on the like women's ignorance role thick. <laughs> so like, but it, it did in some ways lend credence to his fears about imposing on her. Mm -hmm. She really doesn't know what lines they're crossing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought it was really interesting to like lay that on so thick because it does to some degree. It's not like they ever have like nice, sweet kids. Like it gets full bore intense making out from the jump and she really doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when we say she doesn't know what's going on, she doesn't understand their relationship. Right? Yeah. No, okay. absolutely. I was like, she understands that he's kissing her. She's not like, it's not, there's not like an issue of like non-consent or anything like that. That's what I'm she trying to find No, no, no. It's not a consent issue, but it's like, a, she doesn't actually understand where the line of what is improper is. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, I just want to point out there is a library floor finger bang that's very hot. I it was very good. I mean, it's a library, and you know, it was I. It was very sexy. And then yeah, it's her birthday ball, and she decides to sneak to his bedroom. I don't know. Happy birthday to Marjorie. I was a little frustrated at the fighting that emerged following that. Of course. <laughs> but overall, I thought it was very good. Yeah. I, I, I think Greg can write a lot of... She writes very well, and she writes sex really well. These books have been pretty short, I feel. Yes. And simply because there's not a lot of length in the book, you can't put it, a ton of sex scenes in, especially considering this plot. Right. And I mean, we talk about how we like sexy books and we like books where the sex furthers the plot. Mm -hmm. And when the conflict is boiled down to they know they're into each other, they're just not sure if they want to be together. Yes. 
there's not a lot of character development that them hooking up is adding because like that's a given exactly that's yes i agree and that's sort of also what her plots typically are is there people like it's not a question of do i want to fuck you it's a question of do i actually want to be with you after that is done (laughs) so us continuing to fuck on the page isn't resolving anything yeah I'm not complaining about the sex scenes, to be clear. Yes. It's clear. (laughs) But but look, this is the final book in the Dear Lady True Love series. I definitely recommend the series. Um, And I recommend Laura Liegerk in general. I feel like she's really underrated um, because her writing is just so good. I really enjoy her books. So, like, little behind the curtain for our podcast listeners, I've just been a little burnt out lately on real life stuff. And so Megan and I were talking about the books for this week and I got so excited when I heard it was The Last Lady True Love because it's like, oh, like I really am actively looking forward to this outside of just, I like doing the podcast. Thank goodness I like needed this. I needed this book. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and you can check us out around the internet at Plotris. That includes Goodreads, Instagram, and our WordPress page where you can find a complete archive of our episodes.